When Christ died on the cross, he enacted a plow, digging into the very fabric of humanity and upsetting everything. Recall back to when the Spirit of God was drawing you to Christ. Most likely it was a very upsetting time. Oswald Chambers writes this, If you have no tension in your life, never been screwed up by problems, your morality well within your grasp, and someone tells you that God so loved you that he gave his son to die for you, then nothing but good manners will keep you from being amused. The majority of people who have never been touched by affliction see Jesus Christ's death as a thing beside the mark. When a man gets to his wit's end, when a man gets to his wit's end, Chambers writes, then he is likely to see God. When things go hard for him, his thick hide is pierced, and he is stabbed wide awake. I like that. Then for the first time he begins to see something else. At last I see, I thought that he was stricken, he was smitten of God, but now I see that he was wounded for my transgressions. Thank God for the upsetting spirit of God who gets under our skin and upsets the apple cart. Because apart from that, we will never know Christ. When he died, he took the plow of his death and unearthed the basis of humanity. The basis of humanity was self and sin, and he created a new foundation. A foundation of the possibility of redemption. That is now the basis of life for all humanity, not just the saved, but the lost are on the basis of redemption. They can be redeemed. Thank God. I was uh, picked up my grandson Bennett from pre-K, his last day at school. I said, Bennett, let's go get some ice cream. And as we were walking down the paver sidewalk to the ice cream we got shop, we got close I don't know what happened. We both looked up and our feet got tangled. And in split second, the old man and the young kid were both face down on the pavers. We both must have been a sight to see if you traveled by. When Christ died, he tangled the feet of all mankind. And when he died, we all died with him. It is a radical moment. And when he died, it said he gave up the ghost. He gave up his spirit. He died like no man ever died. If he had not given it up, death could not have taken him. The sting of death is sin. He had no sin. He'd have hung on that cross for all eternity unless he had given it up. He died for us. When men die, they gasp For air, they fight, they struggle, they fight to the end, and death takes them. Death did not take.
take him. When he chose, he gave up his spirit. In royalty, he bowed his head and he gave up his life for you and for I. Charles Ryrie, past president of Dallas Theological Seminary and author of the Ryrie Study Bible, of which I had one for many years, finds seven effects of the cross. They are this. The first effect that he mentions is that it was a substitute for sin. My sin, your sin. He substituted the perfect life in order to pay as a substitution what we owed God for our rebellion against him. Number two, Ryrie says it was a redemption from sin. It was that he purchased us from the slave market of sin itself. Purchasing, buying us back, placing us in his son. He redeemed us from sin. So that we don't live any longer in sin. Number three, Ryrie says that it affected reconciliation. You and I can't do that. We can't make ourselves right with God. We can't bring ourselves back to God. Nothing you can do will affect that. But by the power of his death, he caused the action and power of the reconciliation, the fact that when you turn to God, you will find him looking back at you. He is not turned away any longer. He is looking for the lost. He's looking for us. And when we turn to him, there he is with arms wide open. I couldn't do that. You couldn't do it. He did it. I love Christianity because it's nothing that you do. It's done for you. Number four, Ryrie says this, that it provides propitiation. Don't let that word scare you. It's just a theological term meaning satisfaction. God is satisfaction, satisfied with the work of the cross on our behalf. Sin has been paid. He is content with that. For all eternity, your sin will never come around the corner and bite you anymore. He is satisfied with the death of Christ. It is finished with him. When he cried out, it is finished, it is done. When we say it's finished, it's usually because we're wore out. We just don't want to do it anymore and it will come back eventually. When he said it's finished, it is done. Sin has been put away. It is nothing more than a, a bump in the road in the economy of God. It is done with it. He's satisfied. Number five, Ryrie says that in an acts, it, the cross and the death judge the sin nature. But what we see on the cross was God's judgment on the sin nature within humanity. In that he died for all, Romans says, proves that all were dead. It, look, when he died, he died for us and it proves and it satisfies the judgment of God to the rebellion of man. The rebellion of man and the mind of God is gone. It judged the sin nature. Now men... And women who don't come to Christ will spend eternity in a lake of fire. But they don't have to. 
Because he judged sin and sin nature on the cross. And lastly, Ryrie writes this, that it brought an end to the law. His death forever put out the idea that any of us have to do anything to come to God. A law does nothing but frustrate us. A law does nothing but set us up for failure. Put an exit sign on a door. Put an entrance over here. You placed a law. And what do people do? They want to go in the exit and they want to go out the entrance. Put a sign on a bench, wet paint. Before you know it, somebody's going to come over and go. A law sets us up for failure. By the commandments, we cannot please God. But he has satisfied Almighty God and there we are, the end of any legal stipulation to please God. I can't, I've been saved for over over 40, close to 40 years now. I still can't do anything that pleases him. I don't have to, he's already pleased with me. Does Ryrie have one more or is that it? I lose count. It is a, yes I did, it is a ground for the cleansing of our sins. When we sin and we do as believers, we are automatically forgiven instantly. In that moment that we sin, all that sin has been cleansed. Now we confess it in order to agree with God so that we can forsake that sin, but the confession isn't the basis of our forgiveness. The blood and the cross and the death are the basis of my continual cleansing. For Some of you came out of religions where you had to do a thousand things to get your sins cleansed. You had to give a certain amount to the church. You had to be in faithful attendance. You, and they checked your records. And you had, to, you had to do a whole lot of stuff to get cleansed of sin. You know, sin management, it's gone. Hallelujah, it's gone. John chapter 19. John chapter 19. The end of verse 30, it said, And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Verse 31 of John 19 says this, Since it was the day of preparation, preparation for the Passover, And so that the bodies, this was Friday. He died at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Scripture is clear about that. To the Jew, the next day starts at 6 o'clock in the evening. Therefore, tonight, for instance, at 6 o'clock, 6.01, literally to a Jew, that's Monday. So at three o'clock, it was the day of prep- it was the day of preparation, so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath. Parentheses, John writes, for that Sabbath was a high day. What does he mean? That particular day, on that particular Saturday, that Sabbath, there were two Sabbaths. The Passover happened by calendar to land on the weekly Passover. It was a high day to a Jew. So you had a double Passover. You had a Passover, not a double. You had a Passover and you had a Sabbath. You had a double Sabbath. It was a high day. 
Isn't it interesting that they didn't mind killing Jesus, they just didn't want him to mess up their religious ceremony. They didn't mind crucifying the Son of God, but don't take away my religion. Don't take away my ceremony and practice. By the way, it's like that for some today. You preach Jesus Christ, things get really uncomfortable with the plow. Oh, send me back to a nice sermon. You know, send me back to something warm and fuzzy I can take home and use on Sunday. But Christ doesn't do that. He makes it very uncomfortable. And he was making them uncomfortable by hanging dead on a cross. Notice verse 31. The Jews asked, we're not told what Jews these were, whether they were friendly to Christ. I take it probably just, maybe not the ones who had him crucified, but the ones who, well, we don't know, so I'm not going to speculate. The Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken, that they might be taken down. Now, why was this practice enacted? Um, You could hang on the cross for days. Days dying, literally. Uh, The way you died, and I've mentioned this before, you hung on the cross, uh, you were given a little seat, but you slumped down. In order to breathe, you had to raise yourself up. You breathed, and then you couldn't maintain that position, so you slumped back down. The weaker you got, the harder it was to push up, and eventually, over several days, you died of asphyxiation. You could not breathe any longer. Well, if my legs are broken, I can't push up. That would expedite the death. By the way, this was a common practice. In, I think in the 60s they, or the 50s, they unearthed some corpses around Jerusalem. By the way, thousands and thousands were crucified. Not hard to find a corpse like this. But this gentleman's leg was busted, slam in half, this corpse. The other one was crushed but not broken. So this was a practice that they did to expedite death. Verse 32, so the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the others. Now these were soldiers, plural. They started on the outside. Remember the cross was no more than two or three feet off. The feet of the victim was no more than two or three feet off the ground. The soldiers came to the outside ones, busted their legs. Let me, by the way, mention that one of those thieves that got his legs busted was the thief that just got saved. Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. And yet, even though he had the promise of eternal life, he still had to die. He still had to go through the suffering of having his legs slammed, broken in half by a a wooden mallet. God, by His grace, saves us, but many times does not relieve us of the suffering of this life. Can you imagine, in the mind of that thief, he had just been promised eternal life, the paradise thing, and the man who just promised that to him bows his head. He is dead on the cross. There is no movement in Jesus' chest. He is dead. And that man's watching that, and then he sees a soldier comes in. Maybe he doubted. Maybe he had moments where, I don't know what he said, but I doubt this thing. But no matter what doubts came in, when that man died, he was with Jesus in paradise. Don't get freaked out by your doubts. If you know Christ, 
you'll go through moments of suffering and you think this thing's not real. But God is not restrained by our doubts. He's restrained by nothing but our faith in Him and that holds, holds secure. Even in our weakest moments when you're pretty sure this whole thing was just a made-up story. He goes on and says, The other uh, had been crucified with him, verse 33. But when they came to Jesus, they saw that he was already dead. And then the soldiers violated the commandment of the centurion, and they did not break his legs. Now, If you're a soldier in the Roman army, you do not disobey an order. Because if you do, you could be put to death immediately. This is a testimony that Jesus Christ was absolutely dead. These men chose to disobey the order not to break his legs. And then, notice how the overruling hand of God overruled the order of a Roman officer to his men. And then they were never told to pierce his side. But just to make sure, one of them took a spear and shoved it up into his side. They didn't do what they were told. They did do what they weren't told because God was in charge of the whole process. Notice when they stuck the spear in, it says that at once there came out blood and water. We don't know, but it's very possible that he stuck the spear up into the chest cavity of Jesus Christ. Now, dead men don't bleed. You know that. There is no pumping of the blood. You can stick a dead man. Blood does not pulsate out of the wound. He is dead. But if you puncture a cavity where the blood and water have been mixed, that will flow out. It is very possible, and I'll say it in passing because we do not know, that he punctured Jesus Christ in the heart. And medical experts tell us that when the heart explodes, the water in that sack mixes with the blood. I think it's fitting to say that Christ died of a broken heart for you and I. His heart exploded in his chest. Verse 35, I think John gives his testimony here. He said, he who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth. Why did John have to say that three times over and over again? Because this was the turn of the first century, and it was the Gnostic teaching that Jesus didn't literally die a physical death. John says, I was there. I saw it. It's true. Notice that you may also believe. Not that you may understand, that you may believe. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again another in the scripture that they will look on him whom they have pierced. Let me give you three things that I want you to remember from this incredible story of his death, the soldiers, the fact that his legs were not broken, the fact that he was pierced with a spear. Number one, death could not take him. 
death could not take him. We die because there's sin within us. That's why we're breaking down and got white hair. That's why we don't move like we used to move, because sin is in this body and it's breaking us down. Death could not take him. He died on purpose. He gave his life to give you life. Let the Spirit of God plow that into your heart. Let that make you incredibly uncomfortable that he died in my place, in your place, because we deserve to be there. He gave his life because we were dead without him. He gave his life that we may have life. Life is not made up of the stuff that you drive around and the stuff where you live and the stuff where we put on and what the world tells us. Life is the spirit of Jesus Christ in the heart of man. Man, that's life. Nothing can touch that. Everything you got can be touched. Everything you have can be taken away. This cannot be taken away. Number two, I want you to know this. He willingly gave up his life in order to purchase yours. To buy you back. He purchased you fully. Our lives are not our own. He owns us. What a beautiful ownership that is. You say, well, I've got my own life. I'll own my own life. I don't want anybody to own me. I got news for you. Satan already does. If he doesn't, if Christ doesn't have you, the devil has you. You think you're your own man and your own woman, but you're really not. You're doing whatever he dictates for you to do. But with Christ now, The price for your salvation is the precious blood of Jesus Christ. He bought you. He took you off the slave market of sin to set you free. Not free from Him, free for Him. Number three. It's probably the most important point I want you to see. There were no bones broken. You ever wonder why? Thank you. That's all right. There's no bones broken because the incredible dynamic of the bone system itself. You see all those lambs, the Passover lambs, where you couldn't have a broken, broken leg and so a broken bone at all. So we think, well, Jesus is just copying the Passover lamb. Oh, no. The Passover lambs were to point toward the one who never had his bones broken. You know, you think your bones are just for support. There's a whole lot more going on than just support. The very fact that, now watch this, the very fact that you can move, tendons and muscles are hooked to these bones. Movement, flexibility, support. Picked up an article online that talks about the bone, and let me read just a little bit of it. It says, though it does perform the functions of support, the bone actually is a very dynamic organ that is constantly remodeling and changing shape to adapt to the daily forces placed upon it. Moreover, bone stores crucial nutrients, 
minerals and lipids and produces blood cells that nourish the body. They play a vital role in protecting the body against infection. Now apply all this to the person of Jesus Christ, keeping us without infection, giving us freedom of movement. The skeleton system consists of bone, cartilage, and membranes that line the bones. Each bone is an organ that includes nervous tissue, blood vessels, connective tissues, bone, cartilage, and so on. It provides support, the life of Jesus Christ supporting us. It provides protection. It says bones such as the skull and the rib cage protect the brain and vital organs. Look at how Christ protects us. Not a bone was broken on his because if it was broken, he couldn't do all those things for us. Movement, mineral storage, blood cell production, energy storage, and the list goes on and on. Not a bone was broken because that's what he provides for you and for I. Full and complete. There was not a moment on that cross that did not fulfill the plan and purpose of God. It was not a story that happened 2,000 years ago. It is the most pivotal moment in all of history when God plowed underneath the whole foundation of human life and placed the entire humanity on the groundwork of redemption, supplying his life to us that is full of protection and, and support and life and the cleansing of blood all in a perfect, perfect, full and fitting way. Incredible, this death of Christ on the cross and what he did for you. As the Spirit of God, been, by the way, the Spirit of God continues to plow Christians, you know that. He just doesn't plow lost people. He plows those who know Christ to know him deeper, to come walk with him deeper, to come discover all the facts of our salvation, to grow deeper in us, so that when we step out of this life into the next, it won't be a great shock. I love the story of Enoch when it said he walked with God and was not. I love that. We are to walk with Christ and one day we are not here anymore.